0: We're busting ours to kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15.
1: Respect all, fear none.
0: Into the upper deck.
1: Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy.
0: Five, four,
2: three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Bobby Blanco here with you. And, of course, we're presented by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Thanks for tuning in live on the Mass and Nationals Twitter account, at Mass and Nationals. Uh, be sure to give them a follow on Instagram and Facebook as well for all your baseball and Nationals content throughout the shutdown and throughout the regular season, if there is a baseball season and, of course, thanks for subscribing to the Madison Access Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. We really appreciate all the subscriptions and the likes and the replies that we get on all those platforms. We appreciate you there. Got a jam-packed episode for you. We're going to have Byron Kerr on from Massinsports.com, his minor league insight on the Nationals uh, later on in the show to preview next week's draft. We're not sure if we'll have a baseball season this year, but we definitely have a draft on Wednesday night, next Wednesday, a week, uh, just under a week away. So we'll have him on to preview how the Nationals will appre- approach a shortened draft and who they might be able to take at their number two overall pick on the opening night next Wednesday. But first and foremost, we're going to get to the news that's not really news, um, again, in the baseball world. So we're going to bring in Mastonsports.com's Nationals beat writer, Mark Zuckerman. Mark, it's I mean it's I like this a lot because I get to see you a lot more often now, um, but I feel like every time we're talking, we're not talking about too much.
0: I wish we had some real news uh, Bobby, I mean, you, you I, I really, I honestly would have thought by now there'd be something, maybe not a, a deal, but I would have thought that we'd be getting closer or have a have a real idea. And I think what's so frustrating for so many people right now is how it doesn't seem like the two sides are, are showing any urgency to this. It, everyone's pleading with them like, let's go, let's get this thing going, especially as you hear other sports, Uh, start to announce plans for things. And it it felt like baseball was going to be first all along. And all of a sudden you're kind of wondering if it's going to happen at all.
2: Right. Yeah. And um, it's, it's kind of crazy, especially I think the timing of it all, like you mentioned is, is a little odd because you're right. We thought that baseball not being, having started the regular season. Okay. This might benefit them from the get-go early because they haven't, they're not in the middle of the season, like some other sports were. So they have some time to push back, but now we saw yesterday the NBA announcing that their patent to play could be ratified as early as today, Thursday. Um, and, and they'll be back in the gym later in July and finish out their regular season. NHL is close to uh, finishing up their regular season and their the Cup playoffs. And football is still too far away to have any know-how this is going to affect. Uh, and here's baseball just still kind of going back and forth. Um, what can you tell us about the, uh, some news like I mentioned over the last 24 hours coming from The Athletic and ESPN.com broke about the negotiations. What can you tell us of the latest uh, between the negotiations of the of the league and the Players Association?
0: Well, basically here's, here's where things stand as far as we know it. Um, the owners, remember, started with the 82-game plan, then came back and said, okay, we need to ask the players to take less money than we originally agreed to. The players said, no, we're not going to do that. They actually countered with a proposal for more games, 114 games. The idea being more games equals more pay uh, and a higher uh, you know, total payment, even if it's less per game. MLB said, no, we're not going to accept that and actually said we're not even going to present a counter proposal. Now, at the same time, they're sort of floating this idea of unilaterally imposing a 50 game season on uh, the players and depending on how you interpret the language of of what they agreed to before uh, Rob Manfred may have the right to just do that to say here's the length of the season that's what's going to be we don't have to negotiate it the one caveat to that it sounds like is that he does not have control complete control over setting a postseason so the players do need to agree to that because the postseason is a different entity with tv contracts different money and the structure of all that. So uh, that kind of looks like they're at an impasse, at least publicly. I think what you're seeing here is both sides are pretty much saying, here's where we stand. Here's where we stand. We don't wanna to move towards each other to try to find that middle ground. We're gonna leave it up to the other side to come to us. And of course in negotiations, it doesn't work that way. You, you ultimately, neither side's gonna get what they want. It has to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, and so, ironically if you look at the midpoint of 50 games versus 114 games what is that 82 it sure feels like ultimately that's where this thing ends up going and now it's just a matter of how much are you paying the players for those 82 games
2: right and then also you mentioned um, some of the phrasing that we saw in the reports from yesterday um, the term that the league rejected the union's proposal and um, I think Jeff passing even adding that this now like you mentioned gives Uh, the opportunity opens the door for uh, the commissioner Manfred to just impose a 50 game uh, schedule regular season. So without, with the term using rejecting the offer and then also not, not countering an offer, have we moved past uh, a quote unquote negotiation stage and going towards, it's going to be 50 games or it's going to be nothing.
0: Yeah, that that's the troubling part to me. I never expected that the, the league would accept that plan. Uh, But you always expect them to say, "Okay, no, we're not going to do that. Here's another offer. We're going to move the needle a little bit. Like I said, ultimately, you start here and here and then you go to here and here and you can keep working until you find that middle ground. And what you're seeing now is the two sides saying, no, we're staying right here. We're not moving in at all. Now, that's the public posturing. You would hope that behind the scenes there is more understanding of that. But I wrote about this morning. I've been saying it for weeks now. I think. What they need is a deadline, a hard deadline that says, if we don't have a deal by midnight on whatever the date is, then there's not going to be a 2020 season. Even if, practically speaking, of course, they could always decide later on to have a season, but they don't feel the pressure. There's no urgency there. And if you think back to all the negotiations over the years, uh, when it comes to collective bargain agreements, and, and not just in baseball, but in other sports, and even other realms of life including government some of the time when you set a hard deadline it puts pressure on both sides to get in a room in this case virtually and find some kind of agreement and work your way towards that middle ground because you all know hey if we don't get this done tonight there's not going to be a season and we're all going to look bad i cannot imagine there's anybody on either side of this equation that thinks No 2020 season is ultimately good for the sport. You you cannot believe that. Yes, the owners might save some money, but the damage that's going to be done to the sport, I think it would be tremendous. And in the long run cost them a lot more. But if there's no urgency here, if they just feel like, hey, we can wait it out. We'll wait till the other side blinks, then nothing's ever going to get done. So if it's me, I'm saying set a date, set a time, it's got to get done by then or else it's off. There's no season as difficult as that may be. And you hope it doesn't come to that. But I feel like if you give them that kind of pressure, they will find a way to get it done.
2: So who sets that deadline? Is that coming from the commissioner the league or, or the player? Like, who sets that?
0: In your yeah, mind? that's where it gets tricky. Um, you know, ideally they would sort of jointly agree to something like that. But uh, realistically, if you think back to, you know, normal circumstances when they've done this before, usually it happens during a season. And what happens is the players will say, okay, if we don't have a deal by August 12th, 1994 to cite a very uh, important date in baseball history, Mm -hmm. then we're going to go on strike. Uh, it happened in 2002. It was August 30th. And again, the players threatened to go on strike. If there was no deal, they got one done that day, uh, with a couple hours to spare. Now we're in a little different situation here because we're not in season. It's not like there's a halting of anything. There already is no season going on. Um, But uh, I think it just depends on who wants to sort of take the lead on this. And and in some ways, potentially take more of the blame if the things fall apart. And that's part of this equation is who's ultimately going to be blamed if there's no season. The players can say, hey, give us a deal by this date or else we just aren't going to play this year. It's the equivalent of a strike. Uh, The owners can say, hey, come to a deal with us by this date. Otherwise, we're not talking to you again. That's the equivalent of a lockout, I suppose. The PR perception is very different, strike versus lockout. Uh, and maybe that's part of the reason why this isn't happening. But I don't see a scenario in which anything gets done without there being that kind of pressure. So maybe if there's anything they could agree to, maybe they could just agree jointly to a date, to a deadline.
2: Right, you would hope. And that, that's something that... They could finally agree upon that. Maybe that's the first thing they do agree upon. On that note, Mark, to me, it seems like, I mean, you you and I have talked ooh, at least the past two weeks, if not three, I'm losing track now, but of these quote-unquote progressions that they're having, they're not having any progressions, they're not agreeing upon anything. To me, it seems like they're just jumping from topic to topic without having resolved anything. I mean we know for a fact that they came to an agreement on the safety protocols for all of this? And we definitely know, obviously, that the salary hasn't even um, come to any close to a fruition, or the game amount of games they're going to play. And now, uh, along with those reports from yesterday, they're the next topic they're discussing, without having resolved anything, is playing without fans. And I was under the assumption—I think you are too—that it was this was always going to be without fans in the stands because, like, like I said earlier. Uh, the NBA, the NHL, they have their plans in place. All without fans, we're not even sure that football is going to have fans in this in the fall later on this year. Um, why move to the discussion, and or what 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 issues are they going to be bringing up now that that they moved on to this issue of not having fans in the stands, even though
0: uh, to me it was that was always going to be the case. Yeah, it's a great point. Like there are so many other things beyond the money that have to be agreed upon, not the least of which is all those protocols of how they're going to proceed to play a season in the coronavirus world, which let's not forget, that's what the reason for all this is because of the pandemic. So um, yeah, I I am surprised too. You would think that if you can't figure out the money part, then maybe they could figure out the other things. I agreed. I, I thought it was just kind of a given that there were no fans. Although I suppose there's a difference between declaring we're going to play a season with no fans and then saying we're going to have to start the season with no fans. And then we'll kind of keep reevaluating it along the way, because, you know, who knows, maybe by September, October, the situation has changed and there's the ability to start having some amount of fans in the stands. So maybe they don't want to rule that out completely, but I think it does remind us that all the talk, at least all the attention has been on the money side of this equation And there are so many other issues that honestly are more important in the grand scheme of things because you cannot play a season without all those other things being resolved. Uh, And so it's unfortunate to me that they've been so tied up in the money that maybe there hasn't been the opportunity or the desire to resolve the other things. I I do think they're probably closer to agreement on those other issues. I know the, the league, when it comes to safety precautions, put out certain things. The players came back with some other uh, request. I, I think they're going to be all right with that, including the ability for players to opt out. Um, if anyone has a, a, an existing health condition or lives with someone who has an existing health condition, they can opt out to not play and still get paid, which I think is a really key point. And then leaving the door open for others who just aren't comfortable for whatever reason or don't want to do it to opt out. They wouldn't get paid, but they would get their service time. So, I mean, those are significant issues. I think they're probably closer to agreement on all that than they are on the money side. But the longer they play out the money argument, the less time that's spent on what's really the nuts and bolts, important stuff that has to get done for them to have any ability to play a season.
2: Right. And that kind of ties into actually my next question. My next point is that at what point do have they gone too far? Uh, without having agreed upon anything, I, I, we've mentioned all along that the clock is ticking, and you even mentioned in your morning post today that you know a deadline would set a firm time where we would have to come to an agreement on something. Um, but at what point do they not agree upon anything? Like I said, they've jumped from topic to topic. It seems like without coming to a resolution and knowing that they have to circle back and also resolve those. Like at what point is it just going to be? It's too little, too late. I mean, you have you went you had all this time to come to an agreement on any one of these topics and you weren't able to, you mentioned they're closer on some than others, but like the money and the number of games that they're going to play this year, they're not even in the same ballpark, so to speak. Uh, at what point is it too far that they, knowing that they have to circle back and, and, and discuss these topics once again?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's part of the other pressure here. As I really think we're down to, you know, a week at most to try to do all that. If, you actually are gonna be able to start a season around July 4th. If you have to backdate three weeks for spring training, you're talking June 10th to 15th, today's June 4th, you can't just make an agreement and say, okay, spring training starts tomorrow. You've gotta get everyone to where they need to be and give them time to prepare for that. And so um, I do think in order to start a season on July 4th, you have to have something done in the next week at the latest, if not in the next few days. Now, could they delay all that and say, we're going to start later? Yes, of course they could do that. But here are the problems you run into. If you insist on having at least an 82-game season and a full postseason, now you're stretching well into November. And the position of MLB on this seems to be that they do not want to extend the season that late out of fears of a second wave of the virus causing Uh, more positive tests and more deaths the later into the year we get. They really want to avoid that. They understand the postseason is where they're ultimately going to make whatever money they make this year is in the postseason through their TV contracts. And if they stretch out the regular season or delay the regular season, they're running the risk of never getting to a postseason, of having to shut down before then. So that is a major fear for them. Uh, And I think one of the reasons that you need to get this done Um, you know, really soon in order to start the season by July. Could you have shorter than 82 games? Yeah, I mean, the the owners are throwing out this 50-game proposal. I suppose in a worst-case scenario, you could do that. But again, I don't think most people feel like that's a a truly representative season. The players don't want that because it means less pay for them. So I don't see that as a real starter. But beyond any of that, these are all the practical matters. I'm just going to go to more of an emotional, you know, argument here. And a a PR argument, like you said, the NBA is putting out its plan to start in late July and run through November, October. I forget what the date was, maybe mid-November. Yeah, I think it's
2: about mid-November.
0: The NHL has put out its plan to get started. They're a little, you know, starting a little later in the timeline, closer to the fall. Baseball has this opportunity here to be first, to have the entire spotlight on them, This sport needs this. Yes, there are risks involved. You don't want to ever do anything that's going to be dangerous to anyone. But they have the opportunity to basically have the month of July to themselves. Get everyone on board. Get people watching the sport in a way we've never watched it before. And then hopefully retain that audience to stick around and want to watch the postseason in October, which hopefully is taking place before the NBA Finals and before the Stanley Cup. Which is going to divert attention away who knows what football is going to be at that point but it's you know earlier in the season you know baseball's calendar is challenging under normal circumstances to try to get people to pay attention to them over the other sports it's only going to get worse the longer they delay this and so on top of all those practical reasons i just think there's a a smart emotional reason to try to get this thing done and get out there soon because you could have a completely captive audience from the outset, build up some goodwill, and maybe even bring in some new fans that you haven't had before.
2: Right, and I think that's a good point, but I think I would just counter it. I always thought, for me personally, that the target date of the 4th of July or that first week of July was interesting and to me personally, a little risky and unattainable because you look at the other sports, their target date was always the end of July and beginning of August. So I never understood why baseball thought, and I agree with you, if they were able to pull it off, and it doesn't look like right now they're on the path to do that, but if they were able to come to an agreement and start early July, I think that would have been great for baseball because like you said, they would have had the whole month of July and hopefully carry that momentum. And then I think that also helps shift their schedule. So you're like you said, not going up against the NBA finals, the Stanley Cup playoffs, football in the fall, on the weekends. Uh, I think that would have been great for the sport, but I was just always confused as to why they thought that they could start before these other sports start. Uh, I know that the timeline, because, again, they haven't started their regular season. The earlier they start, the more of their season they could get in. Baseball, I mean, excuse me, basketball and hockey just need to finish out their season, so they have a little they have a little more wiggle room in terms of the time constraint backed up against the fall, and they play indoors. But I was always, from a safety uh, standpoint, why they thought that they could start before these other uh, these other sports who started to stop their seasons before baseball did, we're going to resume again.
0: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. And I mean, are we as a society ready for baseball to resume? I, I don't, don't know that we're really there yet based on what we see. You, you see a slow reopening in a lot of places, but certainly there are cities right now that are not ready for it. And that's why you've heard them in some cases talk about that. They may have to, Uh, not only hold spring training, but even start the season in their spring training facilities. So yeah, in a perfect world, you're right. Um, It probably is the safer move to wait it out uh, and not to do it until later in the year. And maybe that's where they ultimately have to go with this. Um, But if you want to have, if their intention is to have something that resembles a, a full season or a half a season is really what it is. And not stretch your postseason into November and December. And remember, way back at the beginning, there was talk of that, of, hey, we're just going to do everything in neutral sites. And we'll we'll play the postseason in, you know, Florida and Arizona and Dallas and other places where they can actually do that in November and December. And that's fine. We'll do that if we need to. I suppose that's still a possibility. And maybe that is a safer course to go as far as everyone's health is concerned. Um, but if we are talking strictly about baseball's ability, um, to, to grab an audience here to be successful and to limit the amount of time that's going up against the other sports, um, then I think sooner, you know, has to happen over later. Is that the right answer? I don't know. Uh, but you, I, 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 I think what's frustrating here is we all feel like the economic issues should have been the easy part. Get that resolved and then make your decisions based on the health and safety issues. And unfortunately, the uh, they're kind of taking for granted the health and safety issues and just focusing on the financial issues. And that ultimately may blow the whole thing up.
2: Yeah, you're right. I think that's a good point as well. And it's just kind of a frustrating situation on both sides, on all sides, really, because the fans, I know, are, are frustrated sitting at home without having to watch any sports. And they thought baseball would be the first one to come back. It's unfortunate. And and
0: and, and something along those lines. And this is where both sides need to consider this. Philosophically, either side can believe they are right about this. And, and as fans, we can even look and say, yeah, you know what? The players have a point or the owners have a point. It's not going to matter. They're both going to get blamed for this. The public is not going to accept right now in this time and what's going on in this country right now, the public is not going to accept no baseball season over a money fight. Right. They'll accept it for for health and safety reasons. They won't accept it over money. And that's what both sides have to understand here is that you can philosophically be right, but that doesn't mean that your fan base is going to go along with that. Right. Also, in my
2: mind, I think both sides have already crossed the point of no return, and that they're going to be blamed forever for this. I mean, it's just it has carried on too long. Even if they do come to an agreement at some point within the next week or so, it's just why did it take so long? I mean, it's just I think you like you mentioned. I think if it were over safety and health, absolutely take as long as you need. Make sure everyone is safe and health healthy. But over money, it's just like it just seems. Unfortunately, I hate to use this term and call anybody this, but greedy on both sides. And it's and, and I get players need to be paid. Uh, a lot of players, not just the top players, a lot of players aren't paid enough and have families to support. Um, I totally understand that. And, and owners have businesses to run. It's a business uh, for, in their in their minds and their perspective. But it, it just seems like it's a sport. You know, It's this is for fun. This is for entertainment. It's supposed to be fun. And, and to bicker, bickle over money – for so long, it just seems a little childish and ridiculous to me. I, it's gone on for too long.
0: It, it It's about perception. you yeah. know. There, Yes, there are actual legitimate financial arguments to be made here. There absolutely are. I don't want to diminish that. And right. there are larger issues the sport has to confront about the way that its players are paid and what the salary structure is and free agency and all that. Those absolutely have to be resolved. But there's that part of it. And then there's the public perception part of it. And the public, as we've seen historically over the years, already is skeptical uh, and just views these as billionaires and millionaires and doesn't want to hear about how they're arguing over money. Uh, It just doesn't sit well. And the other thing that I hope they all understand and, uh, and agree on is that the squabbling between the two of them, again, no matter how legitimate it might be, if they don't play they're impacting a whole lot of other tangential people that rely on the sport to be played for their own income. All these team employees that have had their salaries reduced, there's no season. Can we say for certain that there aren't going to have to be layoffs next year? Uh, All the stadium workers who uh, have nowhere to go, nothing to do uh, and ultimately not getting paid. What kind of ramifications for that? Um, Television crews, broadcasters all of us everybody is impacted by this baseball in, reporters. in, in it, it yeah in 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 a in a there is a domino effect right of all that, a trickle-down effect of all that um it, this isn't just going to hurt the players and the owners if there's no season it's going to hurt a lot of other people who are connected to the baseball industry and you hope they take that in consideration because uh, again the the public perception of all this is just not going to side with either of them if this thing gets blown up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I think that's something that you and I and people all over the industry and our industry have been harping that this doesn't just affect the owners and the players. That's a, Crazy ripple effect that affects hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of people across this country um, who who uh, benefit from the sport of baseball and the, the industry that it brings uh, um, to this country. So, yeah, it's 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 a tough time, obviously, uh, and there are obviously are more important things going on in today's world um, than baseball and sports, but. Uh, Mark, I really appreciate your uh, time and then of course your insight and um, hopefully we'll have some positive, more positive news if we hop on the uh, podcast next week. I really appreciate the time, Mark.
0: I I, I hope that we have a reason to jump in and do an emergency podcast because that means there's good news. Let's hope that happens.
2: I don't think I've done, we don't think we've done an actual legit emergency podcast since the nationals traded Daniel Murphy.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Lots happened since then. How have we not done that?
2: I I think it's because uh, with all access, you know, I blame Paul. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay, I, 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 I with all access, you know, doing an emergency all access show kind of takes precedent. then we just kind of run out of time to put up a podcast as well. But yeah, I think well, that was in what, 2018? Mid-2018? Yeah, that's, so that's two July years ago.
0: or August of 2018. Yeah. Lots, lots happened since then in yeah. baseball and in the world. Yeah.
2: Well, maybe with uh, the splitting up of Mass All Access and uh, me covering more of the national side, we'll be able to do more emergency podcasts um, and, uh, when, when news breaks. So hopefully you're right. Maybe over the weekend, maybe later this week, early next week, we'll have some, some breaking news and we can hop on another Zoom call and uh, let people know what's happening. So, Mark, again, thanks. I appreciate the time a lot, and uh, stay safe and, and be well.
0: All right, thanks, Bobby. Same to
2: you. All right, there he goes. That's Mark Zerkerman of MassinSports.com. Really appreciate his time and his insight. Stay tuned, everyone. Right after this break, we're gonna hear from Byron Kerr. He's gonna preview next week's MLB draft. Hey everyone, I'm Bobby Blanco here from the Mass and All Access Podcast. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Just want to make sure you all know where else you can catch our Nationals' coverage across Masson's platform, starting with the website. Be sure to visit massonsports.com and catch Mark Zuckerman and Byron Kerr's coverage. You just heard Mark Zuckerman talk about his article from this morning, Thursday morning. If the Major League Baseball Players Association and the league want to get a deal done, they should set a deadline. Hear his Read his thoughts on the website from this morning. And Byron Kerr, he spoke to the Assistant General Manager of International Operations, Johnny DePugla, Uh, about the Nationals' simple approach, paying major dividends in the Dominican Republic in terms of their scouting in the DR. Then also, Nationals Classics, of course, this week, starting on Friday, June 5th at 1230. Grab your lunch and watch Juan Soto and Matt Adams homer in the eighth inning as the Nationals beat the Marlins on May 24th, 2019. And, of course, Steven Strasburg, Monday night, 8 o'clock, Monday, June 8th, 8 o'clock, Watch his Game 6 performance against the Astros in the World Series, his dominant performance to help the Nationals win Game 6 by a score of 7-2 and force a World Series Game 7. Stay tuned, everyone. Byron Kerr is on the Mass and All Access podcast next, talking about the Major League Baseball draft. Back on the and All-Access podcast, Bobby Blanco here with you and now joined by MatsonSports.com Nats writer and minor league expert Byron Kerr on a Zoom call. Byron, it's been a while. Good to talk to you. How you doing?
1: Good, man. Finally got a haircut. Uh, hopefully we're, we turn a corner here and trying to stay safe and healthy. I hope your family and all the Nats fans' families are safe and healthy right now as, as we cross our fingers for the possibility of baseball.
2: Yeah, I've been uh, kind of toying with the idea of you went and got a haircut. Businesses are opening up (laughs) right now, obviously. But, uh, you know, I got some advice a couple weeks ago from Patrick Corbin, who has been letting his wife cut his hair. And he said to go for it and let my girlfriend cut it, who's staying with me and in quarantine. But she didn't feel too comfortable about it. So we're kind of just letting it go right now. Maybe I can get to a barbershop sometime soon and get my haircut because it's been out of control. Um, I I also wanted to ask you real quick. I think I heard correctly on a previous Mass on Alexis episode, did you buy and build a grill by yourself?
1: <laughs> yes, I did. Yes. How's the, that uh, going? <laughs> I mean, my my daughter is very funny. She, I think she put a TikTok video together of, <laughs> of, of daddy uh, cooking on the grill every single night. Can we cook this on the grill? Can we cook that on the grill? Can we cook this? Anyway, I uh, you know had been toying with the idea. I had built one a long time ago, and I think it was 10 or 12 years old, and then it went, you know, get, they get old and, and you replace the parts, but eventually the gas line just went. So I had to get a new, a new grill, and I figured I could go to a certain hardware store and buy one and get it on my truck and bring it home, or another certain company will send it to you. And uh, I figured I've got all the time in the <laughs> world, Bobby. So uh, I'll sit on my back porch and and build it. And it took me about two hours. The the directions were great. They also have video directions for me. Uh, excellent stuff. And yeah, it's not a, it's not a big grill or anything like that, but, uh, I was pretty proud of myself that I was able to spend two hours and, and build a grill. And now we, now we grill every single night. So yeah. it's great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a bonus for me as well. Um, being able to, I'm quarantined at my parents' house in Maryland right now. Um, but had I been in DC in my apartment, I don't have a grill, but I can use my back. My parents grill in the backyard every night and I'm the same way. The weather's getting nice. Finally, it's not too rainy. It's not too cold. been trying to grill every night, um, I think I gotta try and do ribs round two this weekend. I d- oh, I didn't do man. ribs too well the first round, so I had to go buy a new rack and see if we'll get it yeah, right. Yeah, you
1: gotta tell me how how it works out, and I'd love to love it's to get a, a recipe.
2: It's a gas grill, and I tried to smoke it. There's a technique to to smoke it in a gas grill. It didn't. It took way too long. I found a new <laughs> I found a new technique, so hopefully this one pans out for me this uh this weekend, and yeah. I get I get my, some good my ribs.
1: Pr- my problem was that I guess there wasn't any steak to buy for yeah. About a month and a half there, and every time you tried to buy a steak, it was ninety bucks. I'm like, okay, yeah, chicken. We're gonna have chicken tonight, or we're gonna have salmon or something right. on a plank. But
2: that's kind of like the know. fun part. It feels like a food network, <laughs> food network like cooking game or show. It's like, what can you find at the grocery store that you can grill? I can grill anything. Oh, yeah. Just find anything. I'll throw it on the grill. I'll make it work. I can grill a pizza if you want me to. Just exactly, find, exactly. Find you, anything and I'll throw it on there.
1: Just look on Google for the recipe. And right. there's so many, so many fun things you can do. But same thing happened to me. I can't remember if it was. I think it was a, a whole breast of chicken or something like that. And I said, like, "Oh, let's throw it on the grill." Yeah. And it took a lot longer <laughs> than I thought it would, like if you baked a uh, chicken or, or if you used right. an Instapot Pot or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, I I haven't not every one of my grill <laughs> grill uh, successes, I mean, uh, attempts at success have worked out, but that's the fun about po- fun part about grilling is learning as you go and right. and when you hit a home run, pardon the baseball pun, but if you you hit a Hit a home run, the whole family's happy, and it, and food just tastes better on the grill. So yep. it's just great.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm trying to put together a uh, quarantine cookbook of all the different things I've tried over the
1: past. We should do like months. a baseball Zoom call, you know, from the grill, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think about
2: <laughs> maybe next week for the draft? We can say so. What do you think about that pick? Also, <laughs> it's, it's, these pork chops look delicious.
1: Right. How do you, how do you like your hot dog? Do you like you know, a little bit yeah. cooked or, or or well done? How do you like your steak? You know? <laughs> right. Uh, be awesome.
2: All right, well, speaking of the draft, I wanted to have you on because you are our com uh, Nats insider for the minor leagues in the farm system. Um, check out Byron's work on com. He's had some great posts over the course of this week, talking to Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline, um, previewing next week's draft. Byron, it's a shorter draft this uh, year for obvious reasons. It's only five rounds. We're usually around 40 rounds. Um, The Nationals hold about six total picks, I think it is, and then they have the number 22 overall in the first round on the first night. First and foremost, I mean, they will shock the world if they don't take a pitcher in the first round, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you only have five picks total, most teams do. The great thing for the Nats, Bobby, as you know, is they have picks 55 and 71. One of them is to replace Anthony Rendon. And so that's three picks in the first 71. And Mike Rizzo, his entire strategy as far as drafting has always been pitching and catching, pitching and catching. And I think they have a a pretty good stock of catchers. There's there's some good ones in this draft. And as Jim Callis told me, you mentioned him. He said, this draft is stacked with college pitchers, and you really can't go wrong in some of the levels uh, to find a college pitcher. So absolutely, I would not be surprised, Bobby, if – all five of those picks or four out of the five or five out of the six or whatever, the picks that they make are, are pitchers here because you want to get the best college pitchers you can right now, maybe a high school pitcher as well. And then when you get that free agency money, you can go out and find other things. I think right now they will go for, you know, potential over need, but I think they need to to restack a little bit as far as pitching as well. And there's a lot of great last year was pretty good. This year is very good for pitchers, so I expect them to take a lot of pitchers in this in this draft next week.
2: Yeah, it's a good point, and I think you know, especially in the baseball draft, previous baseball draft, a normal baseball draft with forty plus rounds, it's almost impossible to draft for need. Any draft, really. We just had the NFL draft. You see all the experts saying you can't really draft for need, especially in the first round. You got to draft uh, who best available. And you mentioned that you know the Nationals farm system, you know. Once touted as one of the best in all of baseball in terms of having base- pitching prospects, we've seen a lot of those guys be traded in necessary trades for the major league club. Obviously, it ended up being a World Series championship in the past year. Do you, like, you kind of hinted at it. Do you foresee the Nationals just stockpiling pitchers, best pitcher available? Or are there other positions in the later rounds, quote-unquote later rounds, meaning only like four or five, uh, where they could maybe uh, address another position like a catcher, uh, maybe outfielder, infielder, whatever it may be?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you look uh, three or four years down the road, first base is going to be something that they might have to worry about even next year. Third base, we still don't know. Carter Keboom looks like the guy that's going to be the third base, but those are two slots that I would look at. Catching, yes, absolutely, is something. And I, I talked to Michael Baird, who's a catching coordinator. They had 17 catchers from Hagerstown down. Now, as you saw this week, Bobby, they had to release a few catchers because they had to cut down. Uh, 30 or 40 guys, so some of that depth they had in catching is lowered a little bit, but they've got a ton of backstops in their system, and, uh, you know, if they find a catcher, there are some catchers on the board, like Dylan Dillinger, Dingler, rather, from Ohio State. If they can get a guy like that, they may consider to to grab him, but I just think the influx of pitching is so important. You mentioned all those guys. What Sean Doolittle, Ryan Madsen, Jan Gomes, Adam Eaton, all these guys... Kelvin Herrera, all these guys that were picked up, three of those guys I mentioned were World Series champions with the Nationals in 2019. Those were brought on by making trades. If you go back to their 2015 draft, Bobby, three of the top four picks were traded uh, recently to stockpile. Lucas Giolito, Dane Dunning, and Reynaldo Lopez, those were all outstanding pitchers they sent off just to get Adam Eden. So I could see that scenario playing out in the future where – they build all these great pitchers. They have a great system, great coaching staff, build them up, get them to where they can be, you know, something that another team wants. Johnny DePuglia was telling me how all the calls they get uh, in their system for, for pitchers like Eddie Yean, one of their, one of their young Dominican pitchers, other teams noticed that whether it's baseball America or MLB.com or somebody else doesn't think that their system is that strong based on the other 30 teams. Well, Other teams notice that the Nats do have some players in their system. And you know from from the past that Mike Rizzo is willing to trade the best of his prospects to get a major league player so he can win a World Series.
2: Yeah, exactly. And uh, we've seen in the past, and um, that's definitely Mike Rizzo's trend, and he gets the best deal available for the players that he needs. Um, In terms of stockpiling, I should say reloading, Uh, the pitching depth in the minor league system for the nationals. And and you kind of hinted it as well, that they're going to just go all pitchers and we're expecting them to take a pitcher at number 22 overall in the first round. Jim Callis on your blog on the Massinsports.com mentioned that this might be one of the best college pitching drafts we've ever seen. Uh, Whether that's a direct relation because of the pandemic or not, it's hard to tell, but, there's just so much, whereas last year there was not as much college pitching coming out of, of, of the draft, but this year it's just stockpiled. There are so many names being floated around. Um, a name that I see coming up um, at 22 a lot in the mock drafts or right-handed pitcher Cole Wilcox out of Georgia. He's the second of one of their two-headed monster and their starting pitchers um, yeah. down in, in, in Georgia. Uh, who do you see the Nats right now? I know we're, we're still about a week away, but who do you see the Nats kind of eyeing at 22?
1: It's a great question. The reason you see Cole Wilcox mentioned so much is not only is he a great pitcher, but the Nats drafted him out of high school two years ago, I think the 37th round. So they have already put eyes on him before they like him. That's why a lot of people kind of gear towards him at 22. The problem is, is that the Milwaukee Brewers like him at 20. And there's some guys uh, between teams between 15 and 20, Bobby, that like Cole Wilcox as well. So even though he might be ranked, say on a top prospect board of, of, best available like they do in the NFL at 22, I would expect that he would probably be gone by that time. You, I mentioned, I think before, Carmen Maladzinski, a right-hander from South Carolina, is another guy that's been mentioned uh, with the Nationals. But the big breakthrough quote that I got from Jim Callis is that he talked to a Nat source who said they like Cade Cavalli, the right-hander from Oklahoma. And they liken it, Bobby, to what happened last year at 17 They didn't think they had a shot at Jackson Rutledge. And because of all the position players that fell before him or was taken before Jackson Rutledge, Jackson Rutledge fell to the Nationals at 17. The quote he got from a NAT source was, we hope that happens this year with Cade Cavalli from Oklahoma. That's another guy they really, really like. And if he's at 22, you'd expect him to be in a Nats uniform.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great insight from Jim Callis. Of course, check out Byron's work on MadisonSports.com. You'll have draft coverage all this weekend leading up to next week's draft on Wednesday night and Thursday night. You can watch those on MLB Network and ESPN. And, of course, Mass and All Access will have draft coverage live on our Facebook page um, and on Twitter and YouTube. Byron will be joining us for the coverage as well on draft night. Uh, be sure to tune in to that. Uh, Byron, another topic that you and Jim Callis talked about is that obviously with a shortened draft, it really changes up not just the Nationals approach, but every team's approach um, in terms of strategy of how they're going to draft these guys. Can you kind of elaborate on what Jim and you talked about on how strategy is really going to be different this year than we've seen in past drafts?
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting because as you said, there's only five official rounds. Jim Callis uh, talked about what the coronavirus pandemic could do to baseball in the coming years because all the, the drafting we're seeing this year, all the scouting rather that that's happened has already happened. Bobby, it happened really in the summer of 2019 it happened at the beginning of the collegiate season, but what if there's no season, it looks like there's going to be no season, no summer showcases, no chances to see high school players. The 2021 draft is going to be something we have never seen. Obviously this one is five rounds, Next year, they have it scheduled for 20 rounds, Bobby. But they could change that because of the coronavirus pandemic. They could turn it down to 10 or 5 like they did this year. And the issue for free agents here, Bobby, is what Jim Callis made a point, and you can read it on massinsports.com. is, yes, $20,000 is maybe not the signing bonus, Bobby, that you would get at 6 through 10 or even to the 15th round. Some of those guys could get uh, signing bonuses if it was a regular year up to $300,000, $150,000. You're not going to get that this year because uh, of the the, uh, attempts to control costs in Major League Baseball. $20,000 is nothing to sneeze at, but it's not going to be what you would have gotten years past. However, you don't want to sleep on it because you don't want to be thrown back into the pot and wait till next year when you're 22 or 23 years old. Then you're in the draft with the 2021s. And all of a sudden there's two players for every one draft pick. So he sees it that. A lot of the guys, even though it's only twenty grand, uh, I know mean, twenty grand's a lot of money, but to a, a, a pro baseball player, they're going to jump at the chance. I think to uh, to sign because they want to at least get into the organization, if you will. If you're a National or if you're a Ranger or if you're a Dodger, you want to get into that system. That way, you have a head start and try to build your way up there before the 2021 draft comes in, which could be crazy and back to your original question it's going to be the wild wild west is the quote i used because if you had 40 rounds the pool of players that would be available would not be the same right when you call for free agents who weren't signed most of those guys would have been gone already because they would have been in the draft now you have 35 rounds that aren't even used what's 35 times uh, 30 that's a ton of players almost uh, probably a thousand players right there that are going to be available so now the tables might be turned a little bit, Bobby. These players might be able to have three or four suitors and get to choose who they want to play for next year. And we talked a lot about that because players are now watching what teams are doing, like the Oakland A's not playing minor leaguers. The Nationals first started out saying they'd pay 300 Now they're back to paying 400 So free agents can watch that too and go, is this the organization that I want to play for? Does this organization take care of shortstops? Do they groom right-handers? free agents can now kind of pick where they want to be. Is this team built to win now? Or is it a reclamation project where I could get to the major leagues faster because they're not stockpiled. So there's so many scenarios that come into play now with a shortened draft.
2: Yeah, it's great insight and a great topic of conversation. And I think a lot of people are, I think it's super interesting the way how it's going to affect next year's draft. I think a lot of people are obviously focused on this year. I mean, Baseball in general has been affected. Every sport, everybody has been affected by this pandemic and this shutdown um, over the past three months. But I think everyone's focused on, well, how is it going to affect this year's draft? There's not, you know, these high schoolers didn't even play a game. Some of these guys didn't get to play a game this season. So how are they going to have any tape on them to be drafted when they probably would have been if they were able to play their full season? A lot of college guys didn't get their last senior season to play, you know, that last chance to put really good tape on film um, and maybe. Move up some draft boards, or, or catch an eye of some scouts. Um, and but then you take all of that, and like you mentioned, the ripple effect it has, it moves over till next year to some of the guys who might not want to take play part in this draft and maybe hold out. And I'm talking about college players go yeah. into next year's draft because hey, I, I really I'm not going to be drafted that high this year, and with a shortened draft, I'm not not going to be taken at all. So I'm going to go back to school next year and try to get my senior year back. Um, And hopefully play and then maybe move up the draft board. And that's an influx, I think you mentioned in your article, of over a thousand players, not just entering free agency after the draft this year, but possibly entering next year's draft pool that could affect the people or the players that were already expected to go in 2021. So it's just a huge logjam looking forward to next year's draft that, yes, expanded to 20 rounds, but that's still maybe less than half of a normal draft. And there's just not, there's going to be more players and less picks. Um, And then we're going to see this ripple effect. Uh, affect the baseball draft for years to come.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you go back for your senior season, senior season, sorry, and get your degree because you do not know if you're going to be able to play baseball as a job after that, that's another scenario that might play in. Do you get your, your graduate degree you? Do you play that extra year? You, I think college players have an advantage a major advantage in this draft because you know, they still have other options that they, they could decide on. Plus you know, how many times, Bobby, have we watched the NFL draft where they have mock draft 2.0, mock draft 3.0, 4.0, 5.0? It goes on and on. There's no, two, there's nothing past 2.0 because none of these guys are moving up and down the boards. There is no college World Series. There is no regional. Jim Callis made the point. What if Cole Wilcox went into the regional and threw back-to-back two hitters, shut people out? He would jump from 22 to the top 10. What if Emerson Hancock got knocked around in the regionals? and gave up 10 hits and 10 runs each game, he might go down. There's no movement. It is set in stone. That helps each of these scouting departments because they know, at least the Nationals do, from 15 to 25 and from 20 to 31, there's going to be a stockpile of college pitchers there, and these are the guys that are going to be on the board because the top 10 guys would likely be gone by then, and there still will be some of those guys. There's not going to be a lot of moving around, I I don't think, in this draft because of what's happened during the college season because, unfortunately – there wasn't uh, a college world series or there wasn't regionals where these guys could showcase themselves like they would in years past.
2: Yeah. It's a crazy situation of all. And I think you were able to sum it up really well on uh, your article, at Uh Check it out. A new look draft forces teams with just strategy. You ended the article by saying this year's draft is going to look quite different. Then what we saw last June, then the feeding frenzy of free agency begins. Potential draft picks will want to make careful decisions this summer as they embark on their dream to play in the major leagues because this opportunity might not come back around next year. Unfortunately, these upcoming abbreviated drafts might become the new normal to which everyone will have to adjust. Uh, Yeah, it's just so many things affect or are having a wide ranging effect, not just in the major league system and the minor league system. Um, Byron, let's also touch on that free agency frenzy that you're talking about. Um, with the $20,000, you're only allowed allotted to a free undrafted free agent. Um, and it really becomes a wide ranging recruiting process. I, I, you said that there's going to be a, probably over a thousand players that are going to be entering this quote unquote free agency pool pool after the draft. What, and you also mentioned that the fact that, you know, the news over the this past weekend for the Nationals not paying their minor leaguers their full stipend and then going back on that. What factors that the Nationals have to offer that could they, they could use to recruit these free agencies or free agents to sign with the Nationals after the draft?
1: Yeah, I mean, as we have seen in the past, you know, the Nationals have an outstanding uh, farm system. And West Palm Beach is, an, is a great place to, to work out and get better and learn. Their instruction leagues are set out of there. And, you know, they have a state of the art facility that a lot of teams don't have that don't enjoy. So that is something that certainly will, will help them market themselves and uh, a track record of a lot of college pitchers that have been able to make it up uh, into the, into the minor leagues and then into the major leagues as they get better and better each time. I mean, these, these pitching coordinators the Nats have, uh, including the, the, the top dog, Spin Williams is one of the best. Brad Holman now takes over as the pitching coordinator because Paul Menhardt is the pitching coach for the Nationals. And they have a, a great track record uh, of grooming pitchers in the past. An interesting scenario is the minor league system for next year. Uh, Forty teams look like they might they might be scuttled for 2021. That includes, unfortunately for the Nationals, low single-A Hagerstown, and short-season single-A Auburn. And those players are very similar to each other because a lot the short-season Auburn guys are the guys usually are collegiate players or, or uh, Dominican players that are, have moved up and, and need uh, to kind of showcase for June, July, and August. If those two teams are gone, that's, what, 50 or 60 players that will have to be put somewhere else. Or, Bobby, does it mean that you just don't sign? 50 or 60 more guys or 30 or 40 more guys. So I think that's going to affect the free agency. We're so used to seeing 40 rounds. I, you know, I would imagine they're not going to sign 40 players or or something like that, or they're not going to draft like they would in the past. You know, could it be just half that could it be just 20 guys? Because they just, they just had to cut 40 guys from the roster anyway, because there is no minor league system. If, if there is no minor league schedule, you can't take what, 200 guys or whatever and put them in West Palm beach. It's just too much. So I think it's going to, it's going to change how the nationals draft this year because of of the numbers, it's just not going to be as many guys. And so they're going to be pretty, pretty picky about uh, which, which guys they select to come play for them. But as I mentioned, and as Jim Callis mentioned, you know, the nationals are, are, are a good team to go to because they have proven that their ownership is willing to pay uh, these younger guys to get them, if they're good enough, uh, to sign with the team. And I know $20,000 $20, is the stipend right now that they're allowed to give uh, for these free agents, but they will take care of their own. Obviously, changing uh, of the story from three hundred to four hundred certainly helps them, whereas you have teams like the Oakland A's that, that aren't playing their minor leagues at all. As Jim Callis made the point in the article, why would you want to sign with the Oakland A's if they're not even going to pay their minor leaguers? I would expect a lot of guys, if they were given the choice, Bobby, between the Oakland A's and another team, they might choose another team regardless of the situation. If they feel like that, they're not going to be treated fairly, you know, heading into 2021. So that's, that's, a, that's a a scenario. That's interesting that you always think that one side has all the power. Well, you know, some free agent players who are especially college players, as you mentioned, they have more than one choice now, Bobby, they don't have to just go with the first choice that they're offered they can go back to school. They can wait for other calls. So they have a, a little bit of a strength on their side too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. And also unfortunate that, you know, this pandemic and the shutdown and shortened draft, shortened seasons might also cause some ball players to have to unfortunately end their careers uh, just because of the way it all shakes out. Um, it's not an ideal situation for anyone but um, I know the Nationals and, and teams across the league are going to try to make the best of it. And hopefully these players have uh, places to go, able to sign after the draft if they're not drafted, or able to play next year, next spring, and then maybe latch onto a team um, in 2021. Uh, real quick, Byron, before I let you go, uh, mentioned your conversations with Jim Callis on the website um, that are up right now. Uh, you have some uh, interviews with college coaches in the works coming up uh, over the next couple of days. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I'm still trying to finalize a couple of them one with the USC coach uh, to talk about Mladzinski, and then one with the Georgia coach to talk about Wilcox and Emerson Hancock. And, and maybe these guys can give us some insights as to what these players have been able to do to try to stay in shape, to, to try to do some sort of baseball related activities, and maybe what their mindset is as they head into the draft. It's fun, I think, to get kind of the college coaches' idea of how they perceive everything. Uh, you remember a few weeks back, I interviewed the BYU coach, and he talked about how emotional that was for him to walk in uh, to the clubhouse right before their game against Loyola Marymount and tell all 25 guys that not only the game wasn't going to be played, but that their season was over. So, you know, a lot of these guys, these college coaches, are very important, extremely valuable to uh, pro ball because of how good they are at coaching and getting these guys ready. So it'll be interesting to see if I can get some insight on Wilcox and Lotzinski, two guys the Nationals might have a chance of, at drafting. And, and so look out for that as well coming up. Try to get some insight from those two college coaches.
2: Yeah, be sure to check that out on massinsports.com Also give Byron a follow on Twitter, at MastinCurve for all the latest uh, minor league updates and uh, potential previews of drafting uh, players. Uh, Byron, stay safe. Uh, That's got true. Little- We've got a little guest in the background. Stay safe. Uh, glad to see you're doing well. Good to talk to you after a while and, and keep grilling. Uh, hope well. See you yeah. soon.
1: That's right. Thanks, man. Uh, hopefully we have baseball like, and, uh, you know, we can actually see each other at Nationals Park. Thanks, Bobby.
2: That would be something. That I really hope so. There he goes. That's Byron Kerr. Be sure to check out all his coverage on um, uh, Mass and all, um, sports.com and on Twitter. And, of course, he'll be joining Mass on All Access' draft coverage next Wednesday. Uh, night and, and and beyond. That's going to do it for the Mass and All Access podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, you can follow the Mass and All Access podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Also give Mass and Nationals a follow on Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. I'm Bobby Blanco. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby underscore Blanco. Thanks to Byron Kerr, Mark Zuckerman, Paul Mancano, and Hannah Broder for all their help for this week's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And then we'll see you next week for more draft coverage. And hopefully we'll have some more insight on who the Nationals took at 22 overall and over the course of the five rounds. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you then.